There's a zookeeper for bugs and spiders at every zoo in the country. Hmm. So I was that person for this place. Are you guys still allowed to do like the, uh, you remember those like flea circuses or whatever? <laughs> and you like, and you like, the fleas go around and jump off things. And run. Are you allowed to put little hats on your invertebrates? I mean, we've definitely tried it with some of our bigger ones like the tarantulas. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I'm going to ask the most ridiculous question I can possibly think of. And then sometimes there's like, well, actually, we have tried that a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're on the right track. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Before Times podcast. Still got some in the bank. Maybe some of you looking for a little bit of normalcy. Maybe some of you just want to hear a little science that isn't COVID-related. Don't worry. Working on plenty of new ones of those as well. Covering all sorts of topics these days. Man, the world's changed quite a bit, but it gives us all these new opportunities to see things differently. I listen back to this. I think, well, what was I talking about? Putting hats on spiders. Shoes on spiders. That's what you want to do. That's where the money's at. See, sometimes it just takes a little time to realize, to see these opportunities in life, to learn. We're learning together, everybody. Make sure and check out my new YouTube channel. There's all sorts of highlights for new episodes. Now that we're cranking out these episodes for you, hoping to get two, three episodes out a week for you. You might not all have that time to do that. So it might help you. It might behoove you to take a look at the descriptions a little more or to maybe watch a highlight on YouTube or on Instagram, where people actually have been finding me, and it's a building. We're building a little Instagram following, guys. YouTube is going to be a little ways off, probably about September, when uh, when I start kind of doing more media and launching things. But we're getting uh, starting, considering I just started in quarantine, and I'm years behind uh, uh uh, already somewhat dated social media platform. I've been having all sorts of fun on there. So I appreciate you guys checking me out on all those places and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am back at the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum. I'm talking with the Education Program Manager. Catherine Bartlett is joining me today. Catherine, thank you so much. Hello. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Yeah, this is amazing. I just got here and started <laughs> podcasting. I haven't even had a chance to see the Haven't museum. even looked around yet. <laughs> the drive on the way up here is just amazing. Gorgeous. It's worth it just for the drive alone. Yeah. I can't wait to go out and explore <laughs> after the podcast. Also come into the Desert Museum, not just drive here and <laughs> yeah. leave. <laughs> just pull into the parking lot. It's okay. one of the most gorgeous parking enough. lots that you've seen at any tourist destination. Uh, actually, that is true. Um, <laughs> it is absolutely phenomenal around here. 
what's the best time of year to come here? Your favorite time of year to come oh, here? Oh my gosh. Right, is this is this a controversial? It's not controversial. Uh, it is so hard for me to pick because we are so seasonal. The Sonoran Desert has five seasons, which most people don't realize. What? So everybody has like, well, I'm drawn to the monsoon season, or I'm drawn to the dry season, or the right now it's just on the cusp of spring. There's wildflower season. I mean, it's just gorgeous. What I really love is probably right after monsoons, which is the end of summer. Okay. And that is when we get a deluge of rain and it is brings life to the desert. Um, everything starts budding out, blooming. Everything comes up from underground. Everything that has been estivating all summer, just like hiding out until it's perfect, they come out. So that's when you get to see all the coolest creatures. Creepy crawlies, snakes, everything. They want to just mate <laughs> and uh, have a little romance Ooh. because it's been a long, dry summer. <laughs> yeah, I saved it up for through those rainy <laughs> yes, days. Yep. Um, that saying almost worked in that context. Um, <laughs> I, it's been I, a dry I, spell. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what are the five seasons? Well, there's. Is, is this like an official thing, or is that just like what what people say? I've no, never heard in our in our orientation room, we I've have never a thing. Stayed at We've a five had... season hotel before. That's what yeah, I it's only next level. <laughs> Right. <laughs> there are five seasons. Okay. There's the typical four. So you think of fall, spring, winter, summer, but we have dry summer and we have wet summer. Ah. So that's where you get the fifth one. So it's really, really dry through June. No precipitation. Everything's just on, about to die. And then you hit the monsoons. Hmm. Um, so, so what do you, so you said you had, a few favorite times. So you got right after monsoon. Mm -hmm. That's number one. For sure. Yeah. That's just the smell. Like it is so sensory heavy because you have the smell of rain, petrichor, which is the creosote around here. It gives off this chemical. And when the water hits it, it smells like home. Mm -hmm. It smells like summer in the desert. It doesn't smell like rain anywhere else in the world because we have that creosote. But that's one sense. But then you also think about the actual auditory everything that's happening around you is alive. It's the rain on the top of your roof that's hitting. And then after that calms down, then you start hearing the toads bleeding, you know, and they are talking to each other. And then you have the quail in the morning and you have cicadas during the middle of the day. So it's just really comes alive in so many senses the I, word i don't think i've ever been in a monsoon before no? I, I i lived in uh i lived in texas for mm -hmm. a bit i've spent a lot of time in texas outside of living there as well and uh and so i've gotten some tremendous thunderstorms yeah um what's a is a is a monsoon is it is it monsoon beautiful is, is it horrifying what what's well it's a season so you're talking about a thunderstorm but it would be over a couple weeks i'm just learning what a yeah. monsoon is now <laughs> so monsoon's an actual season yeah so we're building up so what really happens at the end of the summer we say it's monsoon season. Everyone's just ready for this rain. You've just been holding on for so long, just waiting. Your cisterns are empty. Your hope is dry. <laughs> sure. um, and then you start seeing the clouds building up over the mountains. And that's really what the hope is because it, it it's like stifling and you just know the rain is coming. So every day over the mountains, you're seeing massive thunderheads, huge, incredibly tall clouds. And the darker they are, the more promising that is. And then you have 
have a giant rainstorm that could be anywhere from three minutes to a couple hours. You just never know. But then it's like that every couple days for a couple weeks. Mm. And so that's really what it, the monsoon season is. It's not just one big shower at once. I see. Um, so, so what are, what are a couple of your other, um, favorite times just because I have a, I'm hoping listeners will come here and check this, uh, Wildflower place out. at least for the drive, pull up into the parking <laughs> lot and then leave after that if they want to. Sure. But if you want to check wh- out anything wh- else, great. <laughs> wild, wildflower season. Wildflower will be about March, April. Okay. And you've heard of super blooms. Uh, potentially no super blooms are when you have huge years for wildflowers so it could be once a decade once every two decades and they're massive like in california southern california last year there was a super bloom and that's when these seeds wait for the right time and they know when to germinate and when to bloom based on the amount of rainfall throughout the winter. Mm. So when we have sustained gentle rains throughout the winter, then it's going to be a really great wildflower year. And that's when, if you look outside right now or you walk around our beautiful parking lot, you might think that all I see is green or gray or brown, essentially, when you're looking around at our trees and things. Wildflowers, you have a riot of color. You have the whole rainbow. Cactus are blooming. All the wildflowers, it's incredible it's beautiful it's amazing if you follow the desert museum on facebook or instagram and see some of our flower pictures they're the most liked out of anything do are they able to predict these super blooms the super blooms are kind of predictable based on the weather pattern from the winter preceding the spring and so we might be set for one coming this year but really last year so that was 2019 that was a huge one hmm okay uh, so sorry, everybody, you missed out. <laughs> Just uh, scroll back in your feeds and pretend you were there. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're going to have to wait nine years or yeah. so. <laughs> so give the listeners a little bit of, of uh, your background. My background is I'm coming up from a couple different angles. Um was a trained entomologist, which is the study of insects. So I grew up here in Tucson, Arizona, really loving just the variety of bugs and creepy crawlies and loving being outside. And I was uh, that person with a little terrarium at all times. If you love insects, Arizona's got to be the about... Place. It's <laughs> in, in in the U.S. at least. It's, yeah. it's got to be number one. I mean... But if you don't like insects, what a horrifying <laughs> existence growing up in there. Yeah, you're just inundated. <laughs> Luckily, I just guess I took the route of liking them and was encouraged to do so. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. So I have a, I have that background, and I also have a teaching background. So I was a high school teacher for a couple of years. Okay. Um, so just always loving science and getting kids into STEM, especially uh, women into STEM is important. And then I came out to the Desert Museum 10 years ago, and I was an invertebrate keeper for a three to four years. And hmm. the invertebrate keeper is like any other zookeeper. So the Desert Museum is a zoo as well as a museum. And you think about it, a zookeeper has all, you know, the birds, the mammals, the fish, everything. There's a zookeeper for bugs and spiders at every zoo in the country Hmm. so i was that person for this place um are you guys still allowed to do like the uh uh, those like little 
you remember those like flea circuses or whatever? <laughs> and you like, and you like the fleas go around and jump off things. And run. are you allowed uh, to like? Are you allowed to put little hats on your invertebrates and stuff like um, that? I mean, we've definitely tried it with some of our bigger ones, like the tarantulas. What I really love. I, to sometimes, do. sometimes I'm like, I'm going to ask the most ridiculous question I can possibly think of, and then sometimes there's like, well, actually, yeah, we have. I've tried that a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're on the right track. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Not that we have a traveling flea circus, but you can definitely make their enclosures really fun. So when I was in charge of that area, I would go to um, different craft stores <laughs> and look for dollhouse decorations so that I could put it into the bugs enclosure so they'd be walking and stomping around like the like they'd have picket fence, white picket fences, their size, that kind of thing. <laughs> Do you ever, did you like tell people you go into the Hobby Lobby and then they're like, okay, here's what I'm working on. Do you tell them there or do you just, you just got to look for yourself? Uh, usually it's a little too weird to explain very quickly to a person trying to sell you stuff. <laughs> so I keep it to myself. <laughs> yeah. That's a good move. Um, all right. Back into, uh, back into your path. Uh, so, yes. so invertebrate uh, keeper for mm-hmm. for like three or four years. Yeah. So, so just like, um, so just like, say, caring for mammals at the mm-hmm. at a zoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, insects need love too. Exactly. That's, I just started rapping recently, and so I was, that was just me trying to throw out, throw out some <laughs> rhymes. Um, and and so so what's it? Uh, is that a pretty chill job? Is it? A, is it? A, is it a frantic? I, I mean, it, how hard are insects to care for are they are are they getting out are they flying around uh, everywhere and you gotta I guess it depends on they... how responsible a zookeeper you are sure. <laughs> it is every every group of animals no matter what has its own pros and cons its own challenges but what people don't think about with the bugs is that oh you just take care of the bugs all day but it's not they're so super specific. Not all insects are created equal. Some are carnivores, some are herbivores, some are both. And on top of that, you're giving them three to four life stages. And within those three to four life stages, they're changing what they need for their environment. Mm. So yes, you could take care of our bear or our puma for 20 years, but you know that generally their habitat stays the same, their needs stay the same, and their diet stays the same. Hmm. But what if that changed every two months Hmm. and it gets a little more difficult? Hmm. Granted, they don't always have the same lifespan. So that's another challenge. And then trying to breed some of them could be tricky in captivity. So you have to have the right accoutrements for that. Really, but. I I always thought that that insects were pretty freaky. I've, I've, uh, <laughs> like I, I'm into I've I've, I've 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 learned a fair amount about mating behavior over mm-hmm. the years, and it and it uh, seems like there's a there's a lot of uh, yeah, it seems like they're pretty promiscuous and oh for sure, and 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 yeah, that's true. But what if you don't have the exact right substrate? What if the uh, The dirt, let's say. What Ah. if the dirt is too much clay or too much soil and that grasshopper can't get their abdomen into it? Ah. You know, those are the tricky things you have to learn about. There's also a lot of pathogens involved, um, other diseases that they carry for each other that make it difficult. And then once you have a terrarium for so long, as with anything, you have to be careful about inbreeding. So that's when you try to change out the genetics over time. And that's just to... 
another zillion more cons- considerations when you're at Hobby Lobby trying to figure <laughs> out what glitter to use to make that background scene. <laughs> right, really make them stand out when they're on display. <laughs> um, so you did that for a few years? A few years. And, and then I slid over to the education department. So like I said, my background was in teaching science. And mm-hmm. um, so I was an education specialist here for about six years. Uh, yeah, six years. And so that means that I had the job, the coolest job in the whole wide world, because I got to take animals into the schools of Tucson and present, um, the biodiverse animal collection that we have here, along with some of plant or plant sampling and get to kids that aren't able to come here for field trips. Mm. It's super rewarding. So you can imagine me as the person who's like the guest speaker at mm. schools, but. Well, can I ask you, this is another me, con- very controversial. Um, your, I was hoping it was a weird one. <laughs> oh, oh, it's also weird. Um, it's actually not that weird. And I think this is a normal uh, question. You're talking with kids. Um, so I've never, I've often, I tour with my stand-up science show and, and people are always like, can I, can I bring my kids to your show? And I'm like, well... I prefer you didn't. I'm not <laughs> Mr. Wizard. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we talk, it's not necessarily like going to be vulgar or anything. It's more like we talk about adult subjects like depression and all that and like dark mm-hmm. things that like maybe kids wouldn't be as into if it, at the very least or, mm-hmm. or maybe wouldn't understand or wouldn't relate to it. The same. But, um, but, but I imagine there's, there's, there's different, um, did, did you have to cater your, uh, uh, your talks to the, to the different grades. I, I guess what I'm after is which, which, which grades do you like the most and which ones are the ones that you're just like, ugh, mm. these, these junior, can I take a stab at it? Because I think that I would like, grade schoolers the most you show up with these insects every grade schoolers into it they can't wait to see they're all fighting over the chance to see these insects mm-hmm. and then you get you get like those those sophomores they're just like <laughs> trying to you know get their they're just worried about their driver's test mm-hmm. and uh and, and they and they don't uh, they don't want to listen to anyone anyone has to say right they're already experts in their own lives right at that point <laughs> um that's a great question i I would have to agree that grade school is incredibly fun, incredibly enthusiastic. They don't have so much of this societal, like weird pressures to be cool or like certain things or be afraid of certain things to get attention. Mm -hmm. Something I come across quite a bit when you take out insects or snakes or spiders. You know, there's a lot of the um, faux phobia which Mm -hmm. is just a person acting out so they can get attention. Mm -hmm. There's, you can you know right away if somebody is faking it or if they have a real phobia. It's mm. easy. Um, I don't believe you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, what, um, what was your sense there? Was I was it was I convincing? No. <laughs> I, I, I need some more. No, classes. I think it's when you punctuate every word, <laughs> a little less convincing. Um, I would actually say one of the toughest crowds you'll ever be in front of are, there's two. One would be college students. And that's to no detriment of themselves, but it's harder to maintain attention at that stage. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot in front of them, especially if there's the laptops or whatever. 
it's just harder to impress, I guess, especially in those big halls. And it's mm-hmm. not the same as having the bunch of th- third graders who are seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, just a different level of excitement. College kids can ask deeper questions and we have different discussions, which is super cool. Yeah. But that is a hard audience. The second hardest audience. Yeah, well, well, if you're a college kid, it's just like, oh, here's another homework assignment mm-hmm. uh, on top of the zillion other pressures that are yeah. being put on me plus i'm still working on my keg stand right plus i was i was at a job until 10 last night you know working through school so it's a different just a different crowd Mm. um the other tougher one to teach to are teachers really (laughs) teachers have me included have some of the worst audience behavior really yeah (laughs) And that, sorry if I'm offending anyone who's to, listening, but I, I, I've only seen this in my own life. My nothing but teachers. Yeah, they yeah? They, yeah, it's just nothing but teachers. And what do you find? This, no, I'm oh. <laughs> I imagine there's scientists and stuff that do, that do listen, but I can't imagine. Oh, no, maybe there's supplemental stuff that they're, they're getting from it. I have low self-esteem, so I just imagine that, that people that know things aren't listening to some schmuck try to... <laughs> Uh, try to cobble together <laughs> weird science questions. Uh, give yourself uh, more credit than that. But that, that is, uh, that is surprising to me that, uh, I would have thought teachers like learning the most. Oh, they ch- truly love learning the most, but I think they are so strapped and their time is so competitive mm-hmm. that any time they're forced to be in an extra meeting they don't have to be in, that they're a little perturbed mm-hmm. at that. Hmm. Yeah. But when I'm in a classroom, like I'm presenting to grade schoolers, the teacher in there is very helpful and very interested. Mm. It's only when they're in, in a group. When you're a teacher, do you, do you ever worry about people like biting your material? Like, uh, again, that's how, that's a rap word I just learned recently. I, like I said, trying to get into the rap game. Um, but because to me, I would think that teachers would want to see how other people present stuff because then they can just be like, Oh, I'll just use that line. Cause it seems, it seems like it's it, like as a comedian, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't steal y- bits. You can't steal bits, no. but it seems like teachers can, can take all the bits that I, they want. From I would one hope that they would yeah. I, i'd be an advocate for them for mm-hmm. to do any of that it's r&d isn't research and design it's rip off and duplicate yeah in this yeah. world it's like if you see a good line take it and use it because mm-hmm. the things that i'm putting out there are to disseminate our message from the desert museum and if a teacher likes that and they want to keep doing it it means the message went further mm. so heck yeah i'm all for that yeah and it's like neurons that wire together fire together am right. i right <laughs> um <laughs> I do like the common cliches out there. You find these little expressions. Yeah. It's just like, all right, well, we're not going to improve on that. So we're just going to keep on using that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so that, that must vary quite a bit to the, the, um, the message that you're kind of trying to deliver mm-hmm. must, must vary dramatically based mm-hmm. on your audience. Of course. It's called differentiated instruction. Ah. So you have to work backwards of knowing your audience. Uh, what would be interesting? How would I present this material and then creating your lesson? Hmm. So it's a backwards method, but it's no different than, stand up or marketing or anything else when you have to identify the end user and think about their world and how am I going to reach them? Hmm. 
is that what I'm supposed to be thinking about? Like, <laughs> shoot. I tried to make it relevant to your life, but it, it might not be. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, you definitely, stand-ups get immediate feedback. And they, it's, well, stand-ups are a peculiar uh, field because, because it's, it's more about like being as authentic as possible mm-hmm. and, and almost, if anything, rebelling against what you think like the masses might want to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you still do need to find that bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, you still need bit. to grow an audience at some yeah. point, right? Uh, Unless you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking, I like to say I'm looking for better fans, not more of them. But in an ideal world, I'll take both. I'll take more better fans. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't, I, I, but I, I, fortunately, we live in a we live in a world of stand-up where i get to do things like science comedy that oh, yeah. that not everyone is going to be into and i love it that way like i i don't want someone that isn't uh, that has like uh, the idea of listening to science is like just the most terrifying or boring or disinteresting thing like i don't want to go no. to a show that's like a sh- comedy show about football you know, mm-hmm. you know, so, so we're able to, we're able to uh, differentiate. Oh, yeah. And there's a huge crossover. I mean, yeah. anyone who's interested in science was probably going to have a good sense of humor. Yeah. I, I would think hope. So. Um, so, so with your, with your public communication, how long have you been doing that now? Public communicating. I've been a science communicator. Well, everything I do in this job is science communication. Mm. So that's at least 10 years. And I've done it through writing, uh, public speaking, animal shows, all of the above. What I really have enjoyed working on is exhibit design in the last five years or so. I've gotten to work on two huge new exhibits here at the museum where we took a new angle of communicating instead of these long essays of facts that have historically worked well we're going in a new direction of really bullet pointing fun things here and there using a sense of humor to gain attention and trying different modes of engagement with our audience Hmm. so they just came here they saw like one of these insect aquariums they're like who did the background on (laughs) on this thing i love that sunset scene maybe they could design our Maybe they could help with something (laughs) Uh, that's so cool so uh, how long have you been getting to contribute toward that Mm, i worked on vulture culture which is one of our newer exhibits here that's fun uh i think that came out in 2016 maybe yeah and packer at playhouse opened two years ago in april that's got to be a fun project too i like whenever you can you know like vultures have a have a stigma to them and people are like these Mm -hmm. dirty vultures eating corpses and stuff Mm -hmm. people are the same with like snakes and spiders sometimes with the fear and it must be nice to kind of get to shift people's perspective flip the script a a little bit so i imagine there's a, a, a far more dangerous things out out in the wild than than the common like garden snake or 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 daddy long legs mm-hmm. that you're gonna find oh, in yeah. your house this that- is my jam is talking about unloved and underappreciated animals yeah. because these are the things that i fell in love with as a kid i studied them obviously i'm super into insects and snakes and spiders i got to work on vultures and then pack rats all of these things are 100% maligned animals. Mm-hmm. You don't have a lot of people really singing their praises unless they're like me. They're institutional, they're academic, they're in a zoo setting, they're hobbyists, they love animals just overall. But in the general communication or in media, if you see any of those animals, it's 
usually a negative stigma attached to them. Mm. So what we get to do is turn people on to them, tell them why they're cool. And we do that through a variety of ways. One would be humor. So I love using humor to do that, but also inundating them in the wonderful biodiversity that we have here in the region. So when you get on grounds and finally leave the parking lot, <laughs> go see Pack Rat Playhouse. Mm. Um, it's an indoor kids exhibit. It's two stories. It's huge. And we chose the pack rat because it's super cute. It's super playful. It's, um, for people don't know, it's about a potato sized rodent, but a lot of people find them to be pests, especially if you're an adult that owns, uh, cars or barbecue grills or AC units because they chew. Mm. So they like to get into these areas and chew up things, which can be super expensive. We understand that, but they are keystone species here in the Sonoran Desert. Where you find pack rats, you find more animals. They are job creators they are house creators they are good housemates and they are also plant and seed spreaders so they are the ones moving things around the desert and helping new plants get started so they that's why they're a keystone species and they're probably getting gobbled up by all sorts of things too feeding larger things Mm -hmm. man what can't these pack rats yeah we say that they're the granola bars of the desert (laughs) because everybody will eat that (laughs) (laughs) oh that's awesome yeah, I, uh, I, I think that, um, I, it's, it's definitely in our, in our modern culture. It's, uh, hard for people to see the kind of symbiotic relationships in mm-hmm. nature and understand why, say, um, turtles are kind of important for a whole ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that's why, we, why we're, why we we're should complaining love and protect about straws everything. And, exactly. And, and, and knowing the impact you have a fun little uh uh, uh fuzzy sloth uh, it is a sloth here in I, office. <laughs> I was just um one of my favorite things i had a sloth episode and he's talking about sloths they go down a tree to poop it makes no sense because it's incredibly energetically expensive and mm-hmm. they think they do it because moths uh, are breed in their in their poo and then the moss jump on their back and eat the moss on the sloths. The so, moths are eating the moss. Uh, so the moss on the sloths. So, yeah. So the sloth, uh, the moss eat the sloths moss. There's, there has to be a, a song there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, but why not just sit in your tree and poo? And yeah. Let it drop? Exactly. Exactly. Because they need it's their the, they uh, need their little other, alive backpacks. Otherwise, the to moss clean them up. would overrun. It'd be a whole cloth of moss on the sloths (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) so you gotta go down and get those moss um moss love moss it's like a whole broth of moss (laughs) (laughs) moss sauce um all right i need to i i might do this for the next 30 minutes if i don't change the subject okay but the point is (laughs) hey you're the boss uh, hey (laughs) shane moss the boss um i uh, the point is is that these are uh, these are these symbiotic relationships are are kind of so lost on us on our modern culture i i'd never i um i've been touring with an anthropologist who who lives in peru much of the time and and is with people that are like but you know they live 
in the jungle mm-hmm. and they they know and they're investigating new plants all of the time and they're mm-hmm. very familiar with these these different relationships and uh and is and it's really quite lost on us mm-hmm. yeah we're so far for removed from it sometimes that you just have to take a walk just go down the block Every- <laughs> <laughs> you're getting into it too now oh man that this, is, this is a real dr <laughs> seuss episode <laughs> oh man <laughs> that's funny yeah so just just take a walk and you will find nature yeah, take, stock. take stock in your walk look around <laughs> on the ground <laughs> this is getting <laughs> this is yeah well the last the last one we had a deeply serious conversation mm. about bees as we should Bees are incredibly important and uh, oftentimes threatened. And now we get to rhyme a bunch. So it's, this is the, <laughs> so the whole yin-yang. pick your poison. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, this is, uh, I think that just people starting to understand a, a little bit more of this helps them understand things on a, on a little deeper level than, mm-hmm. than like, Hey, we shouldn't litter. Yeah. You know, just, it, mm-hmm. it, it, I think that that's mm-hmm. all just kind of lost on people. Yeah. I mean, we get it. We grew up with it. You should recycle. You shouldn't throw things away. Like mm-hmm. now it's no plastic, no plastic bags, no plastic straws. But let's connect these two things is it's not because it's it's out there. It's the ocean. It's someone else's life. It is your life. It does mm-hmm. impact your you mm-hmm. on a very personal level. And that's where that connection has to be seen. And it doesn't, it's not that hard to get out into some little piece of nature. In the more you're in nature, the healthier you are. There's a slew of research to back that up. So even if it's just taking a walk once a day, like go outside and look around, listen for the birds, look for the change in colors, think about the things around you seasonally. And it's a lot what you can discover. Hmm. So how long have you had this position? Uh, the manager the, your, position? Yeah, your current position. Yeah, since October. So it's pretty new. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're crushing it so far, crushing as far as I can it. tell. <laughs> um, and, and what does that entail? I am in charge of all family, youth, and camp programming for the Desert Museum. So hmm. essentially any education that happens, um, whether it's on grounds or off grounds or field trips or camps, I'm the one managing those programs. Hmm. So... Uh, what? How many people are kind of coming through here in a in a given day? It looked like a pretty big parking lot. If you don't have those numbers, um, uh, in when, in our busy it. season, we're going to be upwards of two thousand a day. That's on our really super busy days. And overall, if you think about one year here, we are about four hundred thousand, maybe half a million visitors a year. When was this established? Do you know? Nineteen fifty-two. Oh, okay. yeah. So we've been around a while. Yeah. Um, and, and this is, this is in the middle of, uh, what, what's the, um, uh, Saguaro National Park West. Right. Okay. So Saguaro National Park is really unique because it's a national park that was split in two. So we have the east side and the west side and Tucson sits in the middle of that. Hmm. And we, as the Desert Museum, we are on the west side of the city. So we are in that part. Hmm. How big is this property? want to say 150 acres. This the actual the the desert museum mm-hmm. is 150 acres. Yeah, not all of it is uh, what the ground the grounds that guests would see. We have a ton that's off off site. Hmm. 
Um, do you guys uh, do much work here in terms of, um, uh, in, in terms of, oh, oh my gosh, what's the, uh, uh, like regenerative or, or sustainability? Uh, sustainable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We do. It's awesome. Um, we have solar. So we get a good percentage of our electricity is from solar. Um, probably about, I think 15% of it is now, which is really neat. We have some solar on tops of our buildings. Uh, we also have a wastewater treatment here on site. So all of our water gets treated and recycled continuously. So if you see, as you go around some of our riparian areas or our aquarium, things like that, when you have to change out the water, it's not just going into the desert at all. It gets recycled back into the system, cleaned, reused. Um, we also have some composting happening and we have recycling, green recycling, and we do as much as we can to be as sustainable as possible. Mm-hmm. For instance, we have... For our volunteers and even for our campers, when we go out to camp, we have all these reusable sets of plates, napkins, forks, knives, and we try to keep it as zero, um, not zero emissions, zero disposables as mm. possible. So I'm going to have, after this podcast, I'm going to have maybe an hour to see as much. I might, I might come back tomorrow, but okay. let's say, let's say that you have one hour mm-hmm. um to see uh the best I mean, highlight uh, what, the highlight you, reel yeah do you, <laughs> do you just go around and get an overview or do you have like you have to see the pack well, rat? believe me i'll eat my hat if you don't like the, the pack rat, pack rat. <laughs> i that is where i go back to knowing your audience so do you have any favorite animals plants ecosystems that you're really attracted to are you a mountain person, water person? Do you love looking at different colors? Do you like serenity? Ooh, I like all of those things. <laughs> I, I, I'm more of a, I, I guess I, I probably like animals mm-hmm. more than anything, mm-hmm. but I don't get to spend that much time in deserts. So I'm digging the, uh, like I said, the drive up here is just like absolutely incredible. I mm-hmm. never get to see this much, uh, the cactus and desert life. Yeah. Well, you'll see our inf- incredible viewscape. You can see 60 miles south of us. It's it's beautiful. So you'll be inundated with the desert as you walk around. This is immersive experience. We're one of the leaders going back decades of making a zoo-like setting look as natural as possible. So even in the zoo world decades ago, you remember when it was more concrete and more cage looking, Mm -hmm. we were at the forefront of that to make it naturalistic. So you'll see things look like they would in the wild instead Mm. of that. So as you walk around, you kind of are happen upon these enclosures and then you realize there are animals in them, Mm. which is really cool. What, what's the, uh, but back to your highlight reel. Well, well, what, what's, what's behind the serenity door? Serenity is if you take one of our longer walks, you there's no traffic out here. So that is one of the beauty, beautiful things. You also aren't going to hear like planes overhead. Mm. So you're not going to hear the cars and the planes and things like that. And once that is out of your auditory um, awareness and you just calm down and you just listen, that is what nature will sound like. And that can give you a real good sense of serenity. Hmm. That sounds delightful. Um, 
I, but I might go on a hike tomorrow, so I might be. You might be able to get that yeah. too. Plus, what about my listeners that hate Serenity? Is there like a place <laughs> that, or or is it? Are they just out of luck if they come here? Well, <laughs> then you should visit when our school groups are on grounds on their field trips, and you'll just be delighted. <laughs> Perfect. Um, all right, let's go. Let's go through a, a couple more highlights because I want to entice listeners. To, okay. So, from my perspective, especially if you have kids with you, you have to go to Packard Playhouse. Like I said, it's an indoor. Um, Two-story. Two-story play space, but you take on the persona of the pack rat. You are encouraged to be that as you walk in. So you walk into this place, there's a two-story cactus pad, you can slide down the choya, there's a 40-foot rattlesnake that you can crawl in and out of, and you do it (laughs) as though you were the pack rat. So you got to avoid your predators, you got to climb and collect... It's set at dusk because you're a nocturnal animal now. So you're about to get active and play for the night. So it's really a fun way to learn about our desert and through play. And that was super purposeful for our youngest audience members. Also, if you love animals and being up close to them, Stingray Touch is incredibly popular. That's where you can put your hand in the water and be touched by the stingrays as they go by. Mm -hmm. But what we are also world famous for is our hummingbird aviary. So this is an aviary you go in and it's filled with hummingbirds right now that some of them might be building nests, but they get right up close to you, especially if you come and you wear like a red, uh, a red something. red on your outfit i have clothes in my car i'm gonna run and go get changed (laughs) yeah put on something because they'll really be attracted to those bright colors oh i'm so happy i brought my santa costume with me (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, that's uh, that's so cool usually they uh Uh, did you leave your kool-aid man at one at home (laughs) yeah yeah. um I'll, i'll go rent one for tomorrow um yeah, because usually, usually these, uh, you can't get too close to a hummingbird. Right. So you they'll can just, right they'll just get right up in your face. Oh, yeah. You'll be inches away from them and they can hover. They can go backwards, which is unique for a bird. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a really incredible experience to see them up close, those little flying jewels with swords on their face. <laughs> They're beautiful. They kind of exhaust me a little bit. I'm always <laughs> like, take it. Easy hummingbird. Just take a it's break. Like, just sit for a second. You can't even just stay in one place for like five seconds. You just got to be zipping back and forth, going back where right? it's showing off. It's a bit much. Yeah. The it's overachievers of the bird world. <laughs> yeah. Show me a dove or a pigeon any day that's just really hustling and making it work for them. <laughs> so how is, this, this is a nonprofit here, right? Mm-hmm. So is it, is it paid for by, is that, is it mostly paid for by, um, by the admissions? The, the, the admissions? Is That's there- a large percentage of is our ticket sales. And we're also supported through donations and grants. Mm. So the combination thereof with ticket sales probably being, I think, around 70% of our income. Hmm. And how much research is going on here? Uh, we have pretty extensive research, which is historical as well and well documented. And we have a strong and robust research team, which you just met Kim. She's the manager of our research and science team. And so they're not only working on the bees, but they work on invasive species and monarchs, um, phenology. Uh, phenology is knowing the seasons and when things are budding and blooming. So mm. you can kind of see that over time. 
And there have been research scientists here that go back, you know, decades that have made their own marks in different ways through mm. either oceanography or plants or um, studying different mammals or ecosystems. But right now we're super strong on community engagement, the bee research, buffalo grass research, and putting those all together and making them link up to people in Tucson. And why does this matter at this point in time? Mm. Why, why are these the things that bubble to the top that will affect our daily lives? Mm. What's um what's the thing that the kids are disinterested in here but the uh but the old folks are are into probably the serenity <laughs> probably that yeah kids don't want to see the next thing the next thing really get into it what are they disinterested in it's hard to find a disinterested kid mm. you know they're so f- curious they ask great questions <laughs> really fun um, Man, you're stumping me now. <laughs> well, I don't always ask great questions <laughs> myself. A kid should be hosting this show. He'd have more interesting questions for you. Oh, my, I just read a thing on Twitter the other day about museum. There was a panel that did some museum research, and what they decided to do was invite a bunch of teenagers mm-hmm. to their museum for a day. And then those teenagers sat with the directors and told them why their museum was boring. And I am a hundred percent here for it. Really, I think that is a genius idea. That's that's funny. <laughs> yeah, just get a bunch of goth kids up here. Just tell, get your audience and talk to them. Yeah, yeah. It's not mind blowing, but somebody had the courage to do it. It was really cool. <laughs> huh? Um, yeah, I don't know if I want my museums <laughs> planned out by teenagers, though. I I, I don't know. I guess it depends on your goal. What audience yeah. are you reporting to? <laughs> um. So, so this is like thirty minutes outside of Tucson, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and it's open like ten to five or something like that. Right? On uh, right now it's uh, eight eight thirty to five, and in the summer earlier seven thirty to five. Okay. Yeah. And how long should people take if they come here? I would say the full day. I mean, you were thinking that this is a museum of artifacts. It's not. It's not just that. This is a fully accredited zoo. We also are an aquarium. We also have an art museum. Uh, we also have botanical gardens. So it's pretty extensive. Hmm. And I would plan for that. All right. Well, where can people go to support the museum? Desertmuseum.org. We also have uh, active Facebook, Twitter, and Instagrams. Awesome. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for lining this up, and thanks for joining me. Thank you for inviting us. This was super fun. Yeah, and now I'm uh, I'm going to go out and actually see the museum that we've been talking about. Okay, but you got to rhyme it. Uh, oh, <laughs> now that I'm on, on the spot, I can't... Uh, do it very oh my gosh that is um all right all right i'm working on (laughs) i'm working on some rhymes you got to give me some time okay i'll give you museums on my mind uh where you pay to see them uh, at the museum that's a good one (laughs) that's great i uh oh my gosh why was I so good earlier? And I think you'll agree that I was. Very I think that you are probably going to get 
somebody reaching out to you very soon to become it, a rap artist. It, it needs to be. It it needs to be. It, there's there's something when the pressure's on, I just fall apart, and this is just this is something that I'm gonna have to learn if I'm gonna take my rapping to the stage to mm-hmm. the next level. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to be used to producing mm-hmm. in those um, in the uh, moment. Yeah, in the moment and kind of rap battling and stuff. So, do you have a do you have like areas of the do you have areas of the museum where where people are like uh, you know can this do a person, rap battle yeah they well they they just like kind of got mad beef with one another like the people in the rap pack um are are really into what they do but then the cactus people here they're like oh everyone just wants to see the rats is it is it a pretty friendly place around here are there any feuds busting out (laughs) no we're 100 percent supportive of everybody here i mean you have to be kind of a unique person to work at a non-profit 30 minutes outside of town and work in the zoo culture and we all know that we're all in it together so okay. we work no together. No big museum feuds. Because yeah. scientists, if you go to like a science conference, they'll be like, well, I don't oh, agree with that mm-hmm. thing. I don't and think I get there's into as that. much. We don't have as much ego involved. It's all for the good of the cause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, guys, make sure and check out the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum. <laughs> I'm going to see them. Uh, <laughs> oh, my Goodness gracious! I really dug. I, I dug myself a hole. I think you can write some stuff, uh, and you do can. Do you guys like, have any voles? You can re-record your to sign off. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do something really impressive sounding. I'm actually not. I'm going to. I'm going to end it um, with uh, just a nice, honest rap failure. That's how everyone needs to start. I think failure is one of the best ways to get better and learn. <laughs> so look at you learning. This, this, <laughs> this is success. The, this, is, this has been the goofiest podcast I've recorded in a while. That Thank is the you biggest so compliment I've for, ever heard. <laughs> for indulging me. Sometimes I'm like, oh, am I going to be able to joke around on this one? I'm 100%. not sure. And this has been so much fun. Thank you, Catherine Bartlett, for joining me today. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. I'll talk with you more next week. Hey, everybody, don't forget to check out Libro.fm, the only audiobook company where you can get your audiobooks downloaded directly from your local independent bookstore. You go on, you figure out the bookstores that they work with, where they are in your area. Maybe it's your neighborhood bookstore. Maybe it's the one from your hometown. Maybe you want to do something like support black-owned bookstores. They got that for you as well. They're always looking for um, new ways of helping out independent bookstores that need help now more than ever because of that now you're just getting two rather than three audiobooks for the price of one now you're getting two the reason is is that we gotta help independent bookstores a pandemic's happened these bookstores are really hurting i am going to be so sad when bookstores start closing and we we will be worse off as a society if you ask me if these little independent bookstores 
go away. They are an absolute joy. Libro.fm, if you're into audiobooks, your audiobook is downloaded through the bookstore of your choice, and the profits are split with them. And that first month, that goes right to me, yours truly. So you're also supporting the show. So if you're on something like Audible or something like that, cool company. Libro FM does the exact same thing, only splits their profits with the independent bookstore of your choice. So check that out, please. And um, guys, I'm working on trying to build a community. I don't know exactly what we're going to do here. I got some I got some cool projects getting lined up. Uh, if you follow me on Patreon, I've been putting a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff there. I'll be adding more soon, but, oh, I don't even, oh, God, I'm just, I get so excited to tell you guys some stuff. Believe me, I am working my tail off, cranking out new content for you guys. I guess that's all you need to know for now, but one of the things that I'm looking at doing Maybe a Discord channel. This isn't even a big. This isn't the big exciting thing I want to tell you about. But I've been looking into maybe doing a Discord channel. I don't know much about it, but we'd be able to have hashtags and stuff of like different categories, different um, different projects, different subjects. Um, you know, I I have a hard time um, separating, for example, the psychedelic work for, with the science work and then the different aspects of science some people really like animal behavior some people really like the psychology stuff evolution stuff is really my big jam i like it all but it would be cool to have some sort of a platform for you guys to interact if you guys are interested in that if you have any ideas if you have anything like that that you already participate in that you would like to see here we are community message me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, and uh, send me your ideas. And because uh, we're trying to, I, I don't, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't use it, but I really should be on Reddit. I feel like, and and I don't know. Do I get on Reddit? Do I get my guests? See if my guests will contribute to Reddit um, and answer questions, that sort of thing. I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure that out. But uh, help us uh, help us figure it out by if you do have ideas, if you are a little more savvy, then uh, you know I've just kind of gotten into the digital world really, um, and I spent most of my time on the road before quarantine. I've been on the road for 14 years. I am I I usually stay off the internet, so I'm just learning a lot of this stuff. So if you can help old Grandpa Moss with some tips and tricks and things like that. That would be more than welcome. Maybe you want to moderate a Discord or a forum or something like that. Uh, all ears could use all the help that we can get here at Shane Moss. And here we are, Enterprises. So, thanks for um, thanks for listening. Thanks for thinking about um, contributing. And we're almost at 1,000 reviews on iTunes. We're about at 900, okay? But... But still, a thousand would be very impressive. I mean, I know that there's there's thousands of you listening right now. Well, those of you that listen all the way to the end that are my favorites. How many of those? Oof. Not as many listening all the way to the end. That's why all of you are my favorites. Understandable to the rest. We, we aren't 
We are not listening to the end people haters. No. But those of us that listen all the way to the end, the dedicated people, the potentially crazy shaniacs out there, uh, you might be a little more inclined to want to give a little extra nudge for the podcast. You might want to be more inclined to think about a world where more people care about the kind of things that we talk about and learn about on this show. If that's the case, an easy free way to do that if you don't have the money to contribute on Patreon, is to write a review on iTunes. Five-star reviews, please. That would be awesome. And um, and if you put a little thought behind it, even better. So a little bit of your time goes a long ways, bumps up my podcast and suggestions and everything else. So thank you ahead of time for doing that. We'll talk to you next episode. Awesome, guys. Thanks for listening. Podcast Network.